everyone, and welcome back to History Written by the Losers. I'm Annika. And I'm Sudha. And this month, to celebrate June and to celebrate Pride Month, we'd like to delve a little bit deeper into the history of the LGBTQ plus community and all that they have faced. That's right. Pride Month is unique because we celebrate that in June each year because of the Stonewall riots, which happened at the end of June 1969. As a result, uh, many Pride events are held in this month to recognize the impact that the LGBTQ community has had on the world. Before we get into the history of Pride Month, I want to just remind everybody that people don't decide who they are attracted to and any kind of therapy, treatment or persuasion can't change a person's sexual orientation or gender identity. Also. We must keep in mind that personal beliefs do not dictate what the rest of the world can or should do, and religious hostility to the community stems from mistranslations and misrepresentations. Most of the time. But the most basic thing that we have to keep in mind is that all people deserve to be treated with respect. We'd also like to mention that neither one of us identify as part of the queer community, so we are trying our best to spread information in the most respectful and accurate way possible. As with any of our episodes, if you feel like we have used improper terminology or oversimplified or have just been incorrect, feel free to reach out to us and we'd be happy to evaluate and submit a correction. We learn every day and we'd never want to spread harmful or false knowledge. So with that, we'd like to begin our incomplete history of the contributions and struggles of the LGBTQ community and how Pride Month began. So the social constructure of sexual behavior and gender and the taboos and regulation and impact of it all has had a profound effect on what various cultures of the world throughout history have done. LGBTQ plus history dates back to the first recorded instances of same-sex love and sexuality in ancient civilizations. In the age of European exploration and empire building, Native American, North African, and Pacific Islander cultures were mainly accepting of two-spirit peoples, or same-sex love, which shocked European invaders. Numerous stories from Greek, Roman, Hindu, and Egyptian mythology all feature LGBTQ characters, including both queer mortals and queer supernatural beings. Many ancient cultures embraced and celebrated LGBTQ people. Historians believe that, among many others, Emperor Elagabalus in Rome, Caliph al-Hakam II in Moorish Spain, Shogun Tokugawa Ayamitsu in Japan, Queen Christina of Sweden, and Princess Isabella of Parma were all queer. Of course, throughout history there have been many more famous queer people, but many of us don't know about them or their full history because of discrimination and oppression. And that leads us into, unfortunately, what has made up a lot of LGBTQ plus history is oppression. That's right. The European powers enforced their own criminal codes against what was called sodomy in the New World. The first known case of homosexual activity receiving a death sentence in North America occurred in 1566, when the Spanish executed a Frenchman in Florida. 
Also, European dress, which served as a clear marker of gender at the time, was enforced by missionaries, and there was a huge complicated history of both gender identity and resistance because of this. Biblical interpretation made it illegal for a woman to wear pants or a man to adopt a female dress, and sensationalized public trials warned against deviance, but it also made martyrs and heroes popular. Both women and men who lived as a different gender were often only discovered after their deaths because the extreme difference in male versus female clothing and grooming in much of Western culture made passing surprisingly easy in certain environments. And moreover, a lot of the times roles in the arts where women were banned from working required men to be recruited to play female roles, which somewhat created a high status for those who might identify today as trans women. So to understand the community more uh, and following many other researchers, German researcher Magnus Hirschfeld went on to gather a broad range of information about the LGBTQ plus community by founding Berlin's Institute for Sexual Science, which had Europe's best library of materials on gay cultural history. His efforts and Germany's more liberal laws and thriving gay bar scene between the two world wars contrasted sharply with the backlash in England against gay and lesbian writers, such as Oscar Wilde and Radcliffe Hall. With the rise of Hitler's Third Reich, however, the former tolerance demonstrated by Germany's Scientific Humanitarian Committee vanished. Hirschfeld's great library was destroyed, and the books were burnt by the Nazis on May 10, 1933. And of course, from 1933 to 1945, during the Holocaust, nearly 100,000 German homosexual men were rounded up and placed in concentration camps along with the Jewish people and other minorities. That's not to say that the entire history of the gay community and queer community is oppression and discrimination. There have been many times where queer culture flourished, including in New York's Greenwich Village and Harlem during the Harlem Renaissance of the 1920s. Historians have stated that the Renaissance was as gay as it was black. Some of the lesbian, gay or bisexual people of this movement include writers and poets such as Langston Hughes, County Cullen and Zora Neale Hurston, Professor Elaine Locke, music critic and photographer Carl Van Vechten and entertainers Ma Rainey, Bessie Smith, Ethel Waters and Gladys Bentley. Still, oppression of the LGBTQ community remained. In 1953, Executive Order 10450, issued by President Eisenhower, banned homosexual people from working for the federal government, stating that they were a security risk. This order stayed in place until 1993. Even in the medical community, this, there was a stigma against homosexual behavior. It would not be until 1973 that the American Psychiatric Association removed homosexuality as an illness classification in the diagnostic manual. Throughout the 1950s and 60s, gay men and lesbians continued to be at risk for psychiatric lockup, as well as going to jail, losing jobs, losing child custody, and courts and clinics defined gay love as sick, criminal, or immoral. So what was the community doing to fight back against this kind of oppression? Well, in the United States, before World War II, there were very few attempts to create advocacy groups supporting gay and lesbian relationships. But the oppression was really terrible, and especially 
Coupled with Senator Joseph McCarthy's investigations of homosexual people holding government jobs in the early 1950s, many people started to become outraged. The primary organization for gay men as an oppressed cultural minority was the Mattachine Society, founded in 1950 by Harry Hay and Chuck Rowland. Other important organizations with similar purposes included One Incorporated, founded in 1952, and the Daughters of Bilitis, founded in 1955 by Phyllis Lyon and Della Martin. Through meetings and publications, these groups offered information and outreach to thousands. So, as we were talking about earlier, the majority of Pride events are held in the month of June. And this is to commemorate the anniversary of the Stonewall Rebellion in New York City on June 28, 1969, which most historians consider led to the birth of the modern LGBTQ movement. So, resistance had occurred before. For example, in 1966, at Compton's Cafeteria Riot, transgender and drag queens in San Francisco reacted to ongoing harassment by the police and started protesting. This stopped after several days. However, the great turning point for gay liberation and the movement came into its own on June 28, 1969, when patrons of the popular Stonewall Inn in New York's Greenwich Village fought back against ongoing police raids of their neighborhood bar. Stonewall is still considered a watershed moment of gay pride and has been commemorated since the 70s with pride marches. Recent scholarship has called for better acknowledgement during this, however, of the roles of drag performers, people of color, bisexual, and transgender patrons, and what they did at the Stonewall riots. Key people at the riots who went on to tell their stories were Sylvia Rivera, Marsha P. Johnson, Dick Leash, Seymour Pine, and Craig Rodwell. Marsha P. Johnson especially, who would tell people that the P in her name stood for pay it no mind, was an outspoken transgender rights activist and re is reported to be one of the central figures at Stonewall. Along with fellow trans activist Sylvia Rivera, Johnson helped form Street Transgender Action Revolutionaries, a radical political organization that provided housing and other forms of support to homeless queer youth and sex workers in Manhattan. She also performed with the drag performance troupe Hot Peaches from 1972 through the 90s and was an AIDS activist, which we'll talk more about later. In the 1970s, though, a myriad of political organizations were springing up and they were often at odds with each other. Frustrated with male leadership of most gay liberation groups, many lesbians influenced by and influenced the feminist movement of the 70s. Expanding religious acceptance for gay men and women of faith, the first out gay minister was ordained by the United Church of Christ in 1972. Other gay and lesbian church and synagogue congregations soon followed. But the ex increasing expansion of a global LGBTQ rights movement suffered a setback during the 1980s as the gay male community especially was decimated by the AIDS epidemic. At the beginning of the HIV epidemic, in many countries, gay men and other men who had sex with men were frequently singled out for abuse as they were seen to be primarily responsible for the transmission of HIV. Sensational reporting in the press, which became increasingly homophobic, fueled this view. As in the US, so in the UK, the broader British society and media were deeply homophobic during the AIDS crisis. Authority figures freely commented that those living with HIV or AIDS were swirling in a human cesspit of their own making, 
tabloid headlines whipped up fear and a moral panic surrounding gay men and the british government in 1988 passed section 28 which forbid councils and schools from promoting the teaching of the acceptability of homosexuality as a pretended family relationship this legislation was only repealed in 2003 and its harmful legacy is still felt today Right-wing religious movements in the UK and US and around the world, spurred on by beliefs that AIDS was God's punishment, expanded, and many political lobby groups competed with LGBTQ rights organizations in Washington to create religious exemptions for new rights protections of this community. The provision of HIV services that are specific to the needs of LGBTQ people remains inadequate in many countries as the needs of people from these groups were not given any priority by governments. HIV data relating to LGBTQ people is also grossly underreported, frequently inconclusive, and sometimes it's not reported at all. and the stigma around the community remains today fueled by the AIDS hysteria many countries still have laws that effectively prohibit donations of blood or tissue for organ transplants from gay or lesbian people simply because of this sensational reporting and false reporting during this epidemic around the same time another fight was going on As a wing of the political queer movement called for an end to military expulsion of gay, lesbian and bisexual soldiers with the high-profile case of Colonel Marguerite Kammermeyer publicized through a made-for-television movie Serving in Silence. In spite of the patriotism and service of gay men and lesbians in uniform, the uncomfortable and unjust compromise Don't Ask Don't Tell emerged as an alternative to decades of military witch hunts and dishonorable discharges, which required LGBTQ+ service members to remain closeted. Yet, more service members ended up being discharged under Don't Ask Don't Tell. Don't Ask Don't Tell policy was repealed on September 20th, 2011. And that leads us into the 21st century and more modern era. As a result of hard work by countless organizations and individuals, the 21st century has heralded new legal gains for gay and lesbian couples. Same-sex civil unions were first recognized under Vermont law in 2000, and Massachusetts became the first state to perform a same-sex marriage in 2004. And with the end of state sodomy laws, with Lawrence versus Texas in 2003. Gay and lesbian Americans were finally free from criminal classification just for loving the people that they loved. Across the world, gay marriage was legal in the Netherlands, Belgium, Spain, and Canada first. But the recognition of gay marriage by church and state continued to divide opinion worldwide. Most dramatically, Uganda's death penalty for gay and lesbian people is perhaps one of the most severe homophobic measures in Africa. The first part of the 21st century saw new emphasis on transgender activism and the increasing usage of terminology that questioned binary gender identification. And now attention has shifted to global activism because the US has made gains that are not matched by similar equal rights laws in the 75 other countries where homosexuality remained illegal. As of 2016, being a part of the queer community and activism for it is still punishable by death in 10 countries: Iran, Iraq, Mauritania, Nigeria, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, Sudan, Uganda, and Yemen. 
Several countries like India first passed laws which were discriminatory and then repealed them in the 21st century. So there is hope yet for these 10 countries. Yes, and we're comparing them to the US, but by no means is the US perfect in this fight for equality. Especially now more than ever, LGBTQ activism is turning towards intersectionality, which recognizes the intersections of issues of race, class, gender identity, and sexism. Especially with the attacks on the Pulse Club in Orlando and the countless other events like it, uh, intersectionality was made plain as straight allies held vigils grieving the loss of young Latino drag queens and lesbians of color. Congress is also in the midst of a struggle to prevent anti-LGBTQ legislation from passing. Currently surfacing are a wave of anti-trans bills. Anti-trans bills target transgender and non-binary people for discrimination such as barring or criminalizing health care for transgender youth, barring access to the use of appropriate facilities like restrooms, restricting transgender students' abilities to fully participate in school and sports, allowing religiously motivated discrimination against trans people or simply making it more difficult for trans people to get identification documents with their preferred name and gender. And the only thing that I feel like we have to say to bills like these is that we shouldn't be you know, denying people's identities and we should be allowing people to exist as they are and not making it illegal for them to be who they are. Right. Erasure of identity or denial of identity has to be a crime against humanity. The Equality Act is supposed to provide consistent and explicit anti-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people across key areas of life, including employment, housing, credit, education, public spaces, federally funded programs, and jury service. And obviously legislation like this cannot fix every problem that the LGBTQ plus community faces. And discrimination continues around the world. It's not just in the US, which is you know where we live. But history is so crippled with anti-LGBTQ plus propaganda and just hate towards the queer community. And this episode barely skims the surface of all that has happened. There are so many problems facing the LGBTQ plus community today. There are issues with depression and suicide rates amongst um, LGBTQ plus youth, which we haven't addressed uh, sufficiently in this country. And there are so many other aspects of discrimination that we have yet to find solutions for. And. There's often a lot of backlash in June, at least I have personally seen, towards Pride Month, as many people who aren't in the community uh, wonder, you know, why the queer community has Pride Month and why they need to celebrate and why they need to take this month to like celebrate all that they are and all that they have. And it's because for a significant portion of history, they have just faced endless oppression. And while gains have been made, that oppression continues and discrimination and even just harmful language and microaggressions continue towards the community. So pride is a way of celebrating what they have and it's unique for every person in the community. It's a unique way of them expressing how they feel and expressing what they have accomplished and what still needs to be accomplished too. And sometimes it can be a lifeline for somebody who is facing oppression to feel like that they have the support of their community. 
Yes. So yes, we will always have people who don't quite understand the nuances of why this is important. Uh, but Pride Month gives us an opportunity to delve into the history of how people have lived their lives before and what has happened to them throughout history. And that hopefully is the lens through which we will better understand the celebrations today. Yeah, because if we don't look at this history, then no matter whether you're part of the LGBTQ plus community or not, we all end up as the losers. Happy Pride, everyone. Thank you all for listening to this episode of History Written by the Losers. It was a great episode to learn more about, and we are all still learning, so please feel free to let us know if there's something you feel should have been included or should have been corrected, and we'd be happy to look at it. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at History Written by the Losers, and on Twitter and TikTok at History Losers. We're so grateful for all of you, and we hope that you have an amazing month. This has been History Written by the Losers. Losers.